You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help us by being a sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. Tonight we're starting a new six-part journey into the 1973 BBC space show, Moonbase 3, Episode 1, Departure and Arrival. On the moon, the director of Moonbase 3, the European Moonbase, is not having a good day. He's got to go to Earth to defend his budget, which is already inadequate. And his second-in-command, Michel Lebrun, and base doctor Helen Smith, want him to make a decision grounding his personal shuttle pilot. The doctor cannot cite any evidence that he's unfit to fly, and neither wants to ruin the man's career on a gut feeling so the director signs off on his fitness. That was a mistake. The pilot is suffering from a bit of paranoia and delusions of grandeur, and when a minor malfunction happens on the flight, he insists on fixing it himself via spacewalk. That, too, was a mistake, as he comes detached from his tether and hurtles to his death. Alone aboard the craft and unqualified as a pilot, the director panics and attempts to fly the ship, Mistakes just keep happening, and his inexperience leads to the destruction of the shuttle. On Earth, the European Space Commission votes to appoint a new director. The French want to appoint the base's second-in-command, a Frenchman, as director. But the British have a better idea. Let's appoint a British person. And as the British are the chair of the commission, the British David Calder, lecturer at Oxford, is appointed. On the moon base, Michel is upset that he didn't get the promotion. And as he prepares for Calder's arrival, he also prepares his resignation letter. Both Dr. Smith and Director of Operations Tom Hill try to convince him that he must not resign. A resignation will be interpreted as an admission of guilt for his part in the accident, and his career will be ended. He relents, at least until the anticipated inquiry into the accident occurs. Calder arrives and announces that there will be an investigation, and that he'll be conducting it. No outsiders. Calder rushes the inquiry very quickly, interviewing all of the involved staff in short order. The interviews reveal that the three major command staff had reasons to doubt the pilot's suitability to fly, yet none was willing to act upon it. His report calls all of them on the carpet, suspending them. They, along with Calder, leave to face a tribunal on Earth the very same day. On the way to Earth, the shuttle is violently rocked, the pilot announces that they've been hit by a meteoroid and they must make an emergency landing on the moon. Their radio is non-functional, damaged in the accident. The pilot has a full air supply, but the others only have a 30-minute transit supply. While the pilot remains to try to repair the radio, the command staff must work together and try to walk to a nearby seismologist station. When their air runs out, the American moon base commander comes along in a moon buggy and rescues them. It was all a ruse on Calder's part. 
His criticisms remain. All three needed to step up and make the tough call to ground the pilot. And his fake emergency landing demonstration was to reinforce upon them that on the moon, they must absolutely rely on one another to survive. His real report to the commission says no one but the pilot was to blame. So that's the first episode of Moon Base 3, Departure and Arrival. It's by Terrence Dix and Barry Letts. They have co-writing credit on that. This show is also produced by Barry Letts and script edited by Terrence Dix. And if those names sound familiar, that's because they are the team that did the Pertwee era of Doctor Who. And so... I want to start by introducing and saying welcome to John, who will be joining me for this journey on Moonbase 3. Oh, thank you, Eugene. I'm honored to be along for the ride. So, when was, how long, I think you've seen Moonbase 3 before me, because I just found out about it the other day. Um, yeah, I ran across it a couple of years ago, um, I don't mm-hmm. know, three or four, and I was able to watch episodes one through four, so... The two last episodes are going to be completely new to me. Okay. Well, let's try not to spoil the uh, Oh, I won't, two won't mention uh, one. Yeah, because two. it's been long enough that I don't remember episodes two, three, or four. So. Did you remember episode one? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, I knew there was a spaceship involved. Okay, good. So, yeah. So And it was on the moon. And the so, moon, yeah. yes. Well, yeah. that was uh, basically a, a key part of Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm right up to speed on that one. So, well, what did you... Th- think in general terms about this episode uh, overall? Well, seeing that it was made in the early 70s, it definitely looked it, which, you know, is unavoidable and fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the acting was all right. Uh, it, in many cases, it did feel like they had gone down to whatever the UK equivalent of central casting was to, you know, pick up some people. It's like, well, need a scientist? need a uh, pilot, you know, need an administrator, that sort of stuff. Hmm. But other than that, it wasn't too bad. I mean, I've I've enjoyed watching it. It has a kind of interesting uh, provenance. Uh, Apparently, Letts and Dix were already on the lookout for the next big thing after they did Doctor Who. Right. Um, This was shot between, I guess, Pertwee's first and second series as as the Doctor, I believe. Or it might be a second and third. I won't swear to it. But um, it was in there, and they had a break. And they'd been trying to do some other stuff, um, just, you know, to get get their irons in the fire. Yeah. And they they stumbled upon this idea. And it this is not a, uh, a dig at, at Let's and Dick's, but this is so Pertwee Doctor Who. Look, sound, pacing... <laughs> Music. Oh, the music uh, and the incidental music. It was just like, if I closed my eyes, it was as if I was watching a Doctor Who episode. You were. It was, it was weird. It's Very Dudley strange. Simpson. It's yeah. the exact same guy. <laughs> and um, I, I don't know if you, I mean, I can't swear to this, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that pretty much every episode of Pertwee and Baker until... Till John Nathan Turner took over, was scored by Dudley Simpson, as he did pretty much all of Blake Seven. Now, yeah, the exceptions are too. the exceptions are that whenever Douglas Camfield came in to do directing, 
he hated Dudley Simpson. <laughs> and so those are the few episodes of both Blake Seven and Doctor Who in that era that don't use Dudley Simpson. And I got to say, I'm kind of I'm kind of with him. <laughs> um, I, I don't I don't hate it, but oh, it's just not very uh, good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's it sounds very like well I can knock this off in an afternoon. Let me sit down here and oh door opening to space. Exactly yes, yeah exactly. It's like hmm okay well there's a dilemma. Let's uh, yeah I can have a little bit of music for that and yeah, that'll work. And the weird part um, is it's not a synthesizer as far as I understand. I mean really? he's actually he's actually got a a musicians a group of some kind. Wow. I don't know how big it is. But this isn't like the latter John Nathan Turner era, where it's just one guy and a keyboard and a, right. you know playing that sampled note over and over again. Right. Um, there, there. I mean, there may be a synthesizer involved because obviously well, I there's know it, some it, electronic noises. But at one point there was the sound of uh, uh, I don't know what the instrument is. I'm going to guess it has some bells of some form, but uh, it was from the uh, the uh, uh, Planet of the Apes movies. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. I can't remember what that's called, but that was used in it. It's like, okay, well, yeah, that's appropriate for the era. Um, yeah, it's it's not a patch on Jerry Goldsmith's um, uh, <laughs> groundbreaking score for oh, Planet yes. of the Apes. <laughs> yes. Weird, yes. but groundbreaking score of Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, it. it and, and before anybody writes in, it just occurred to me, I can think of at least two other Doctor Who episodes that were not done by Dudley Simpson. So just before anybody says, the Silurians and the Sea Devils also ah. were not Dudley Simpson, I believe. So don't write in. Don't complain. I'm, it's a generalization. <laughs> Dudley Simpson did a staggering amount of Doctor Who <laughs> during this period. And he clearly was, must have been on really good terms with Letts and Dicks. Uh, yeah. On this, well, they probably liked his his sound and his style, so you know it's gonna sound like that. It's so, so spacey and futuristic exactly, sounding. Futuristic, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but it, it seemed to be the same future, whatever show it was. Yes, but eh. yes. So this show, like as we said, was 1973. It was the BBC. It was also made in production in conjunction with. 20th Century Fox and ABC in America. So did it air in the U.S.? I didn't find that. Huh. Um, and, and I don't know where it would have aired. You know, six parts just I know, that doesn't for the U.S. Fit. is like nothing. I mean, I guess it could have been like a miniseries, but um, it, it kind of remains to be seen, because I don't know, if this has got, like, is a six-part story or this is six one-part stories, or or what? I'm not really sure. Um, but it's it's weird that it's made in conjunction with them, and yet it shows absolutely no sign that they gave them any extra money over right, a Doctor or, Who budget. Or technical help in the special effects department, or anything like that. Yeah, no, this is this is, feels pure BBC drama mm-hmm. or, uh, department studio band. Now, one thing that is interesting, it's different than Doctor Who, is that they hired James Burke as a science advisor to 
try to get this a little bit more technically accurate. Yeah, I, until you mentioned it, I did not know that. And uh, yeah, I can I can see where uh, he probably had some input on stuff. And, uh, you know, I know that uh, if you try to be 100% true to science in a television program, it's <laughs> a documentary and not a lot of people like those. Right. And it, and it would be... You know, well, we can't do that, so... Exactly, exactly. It's like, oh, no, that's expensive. What are you talking no, about? No, 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 Floating? Never... No, 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 not on our show. We have artificial gravity on the moon. I did think that was kind of... A, <laughs> that was a cheap one. They they just basically gave a name check to the Kelman machine or something yeah. like that. Yeah, or... like, well, okay, well, yeah. It's it's nice that they they actually uh, explained that. We, know, not... we have Keller to thank for that or whatever. Precisely. Zelkov, that was the name. Zelkov, okay. Zelkov's, Zelkov's gravity. <laughs> wow. um, now here's the funny thing. I mean, James Burke. Uh, you know, it's going to depend on whether you're on this side of the pond or whether you're on that side of the pond or whether you're not on either side of the pond and you're somewhere else. James Burke uh, was apparently the science correspondent yeah, for, the for the BBC. BBC. He yeah. covered the moon landings, right, for them. He was like um, their. Uh... Walter Cronkite. Yes, Walter Cronkite yes. did them here. Yeah. And and he also has an enormously popular series of series called mm-hmm. Connections. I started watching that when I was like five or six. It was airing on PB, PBS in my hometown, North Dakota. And that was just 100% fascinating. It, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating show. I, I, I guess he's trying to work on an app now, but... Uh... <laughs> Like, wow, okay, why not? According, according to Wikipedia. But what I found fascinating about it is because I've always thought of James Burke as like the science guy, right? Right. He's like, he's like his degree is in Middle English, something like that. It's not a science degree. All right, well, that's fine. This is all just, yeah, self-taught. So, but is that the guy to hire as your science advisor? Well. A science correspondent, sure. If he can talk intelligently and research it and say, but, but do you... Do you bring in the guy? Do you bring in Walter Cronkite to be your science advisor for your your show on moon landings? That that was. I personally wouldn't, <laughs> but uh, it might be. This is a case of uh, Burke was around uh, you know everything space, uh, you know, especially the moon launches that we did, and uh, he was really up on it. And, you know, if he didn't know the answer, he probably knew who to talk to about it. And plus, he was with the BBC, so, you know, mm-hmm. maybe his office was like two doors down from theirs. So, uh, you know, he's he works for the same company, so he's kind of probably cheap and uh, there. Yeah, I don't have, um, I don't know when Connections came out, but it's also very possible. Well, I mean, he was famous from the, from the, being the moon landing guy and the science correspondent mm-hmm. so it could be its name recognition i mean here we got this science fiction show and we got james burke exactly you know we got harlan ellison working on our series bible he never writes a single episode but exactly. we got harlan ellison man we got james burke on this on the moon base stuff so it's possible he does get a fairly prominent mention in the in the end role as i recall hmm Oh, and through the magic of the internets, uh, Connections was in 1978, so I was 10. 
Okay, so it had so, not started yet. Exactly, so this is still many years before. Running off his his moon landing fame, probably. Yeah. Which you know, all right, fine if he could talk intelligently about it, and, and you know, I'm I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna complain. Um, <clears throat> let's look a little bit at the setup of the show. Um, there are apparently five or possibly more moon bases on the moon in this far flung year, which is either. <laughs> 2003 or 2011 and the reason hmm. i know that is it's something that burke said in some quote where he was talking about you know 2003 seems like a reasonable year for a moon base to be established all right i'm not quite sure whether he means 2003 is a good year for them to establish a moon base or 2003 is a good year for them to have one that is established Right, so hmm. it's either 2003 yeah. or 2011 because they say the base is eight years old. Okay, so I would say that it's probably 2011 then. In the far-flung future. Yes, well, <laughs> is from 1973. I suppose that would have been far-flung for some people. He's sitting there looking at that, going, "There is no way they're going to have that moon base on there in 1999 in time for Moon Base Alpha to get blasted out of exactly. the Exactly. So we're going to go way out, yeah, way out into the 2000s." <laughs> Um, I think it's an interesting look at who the geopolitical landscape on the moon is, right? Number one, moon base one, America. Of course. Yay! Moon base <laughs> two, the Soviet Union. Boo, hiss, the bad yeah. guys. They had to have one too. Of course. And of course, I think we ha are led to believe that the American moon base is all like spit and polish and well-funded and which is hilarious. Right, exactly. And, and their missiles are pointed at moon base two and just over the hill. <laughs> Quite possibly. We haven't, <laughs> but they're we haven't not actually, missiles, they're research devices. We have no indication as to whether or not these bases are armed yet, actually, upon right. reflection. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know if this is a war thing or whether this is a, a it's purely like an Antarctica. I, I, I don't know. But yeah, I, would, I would hope that it's like Antarctica, where it's just it's research. But, but I am I am expecting yeah. I'm expecting some serious uh stereotypes to come out of this show. Oh well, I'm counting based on it. based on the way the Europeans you know, look at the Americans and the Soviet Union. So that's uh, base three <laughs> is the Europeans. Base four is China. Right. And base five is Brazil. I can kind of see that. I haven't done any research on it, but they uh they do have an aerospace industry down there and uh it's it's pretty good. I would so, have thought that was Argentina. No, I don't think it is. I, well, no, I think we got most of those scientists after the war, didn't we? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, was, was Brazil big on, you know, sometimes you look at countries and you go, I think they're going to be the next big thing. Maybe in 1973, Brazil was poised to be, you know, first world. Now it would be India, I mm -hmm. think. You know, if they were making the show today, it would it would be the U.S., Russia, China, the EU, which of course Britain wouldn't be part of. Ha ha ha! Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'll be a, that'll be a fun one to watch. China and India. Ex yeah, yeah, exactly. I also think that it's it's quite amusing that when we get to the the scenes with the commission, mm -hmm. we've got three people. Now I'm going to admit I couldn't figure out what the other one was. So there's French, there's British, and then there's a generic European? Mm. Did you? Possibly. Did you know who it was? No. Would it be um, Germany? Would it be the logical one? It would possibly. today. 
I don't know about 1973. Three. I'm trying to think of what little I know about the uh, society in Britain back then. Italy? Yeah, um, it couldn't be Italy. Don't know. Anyway, he of course abstains when they're when they're so the French person because this is a French stereotype. Really, of course, we want the French person mm-hmm. to be in charge of the moon base, and the British is like, well, oh, I think we should have a British person. And and the other person goes, I don't know, I'm I'm going to abstain. I, I'm wondering if we're going to get more politics on this because it seems like it seems like what I was expecting was for the French person to say, Yeah, all right, fine. Go, go with the British. You made a good case. Because I think the British guy did kind of make a good case for Calder. Um, but they didn't. They went with the whole, no, I'm French. I'm voting French. I'm British. I'm voting British. Right. He's abstaining. I guess the chairman gets to make the decision. Let's exactly. see. Who's the chairman? Oh, it's me. Well, we'll go British then. Yes. <laughs> oh, glad we got that solved amicably. I just kind of see that as being contentious perhaps in the future. Yeah, but I don't know. We may never see the commission again because I don't know how, how they're going to play this out in terms of politics or. Uh... Yeah, I don't remember what happens with that either. So, um, the yeah. technology of the future. <laughs> ah, yes, the technology of the future. See, so, yeah, some of those computer monitors looked awfully familiar. I think I've seen them in other uh, BBC shows from that era. <laughs> those uh, are the BBC monitors yeah. that they have. Yeah. They come up from the props department when they're mm-hmm. not playing Pong on them. Exactly. Or where they're not on top of a, uh, a television camera. Mm, yeah, they did have <laughs> that look too. Yeah. The amazing typewriter machine. Oh, yes. I, you, you mean the, uh, the voice-to-text machine? Yes. Yeah, wow. That's that, very futuristic. That is such a miss. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, not only did he dictate, mm-hmm. he edited <laughs> like you would on a computer. He's like, no, no, scratch that last paragraph or whatever delete, he said. Or remove delete, that, delete, 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 delete line. So it's all going into memory somewhere, unless it's actually typing it up and then it's backing up and using correcting tape on it. Yeah, yeah, actually, I could see that. I could see that. Daisy wheel with correcting tape. Yep. So they, <laughs> it's like, you know, what a clever idea. They're going to have voice dictated uh, g- computer operations. What would we do with it? Printed out on a typewriter page. <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, no, no concept of email. No concept of. No, no. I, I have a feeling that with the shuttles that go back and forth between the moon base and I'm going to guess a space station, uh, they have a bag of mail. You know, canvas bag says "Royal oh, yeah. Post" on it. <laughs> Has they have to actually bring an actual royal postman along with it because that's the oh, law. Oh, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, there's one at the end of a Posties corridor. Posties here, exactly. Cheerio. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yep. So that might not be that might not be the most accurate. What, what did you think about the? Oh, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say um, some of the things they got. You know, quite. You know, they did a good job on like you know the uh, the Snoopy hats that the uh, crew of the shuttles are wearing. You know the the white head covering with the uh, built-in uh, headphones and microphone. That's mm-hmm. you know almost dead on for Apollo program. So they you know that was nice. 
Let me ask um, you a question about what? that. I've always kind of wondered. What is it what? for? Oh, what's it for? The Snoopy, yeah. Um, it's uh, It does a couple things. It keeps the uh, headphones and microphone in the same spot. So, uh, you know, you don't have a... Uh, uh, you know, metal band clamped on your head. Okay. And it, it keeps your hair and any sweat that might be, uh, might come from your head from drifting into your eyes while you're in zero gravity. Okay. Okay. I, I never yeah. actually thought about and that it, until you mentioned it. I knew they wore them. It just like, wait a minute, what the heck are they for? Right. And, and also it, it is a, uh, just a covering to wear underneath a helmet. So your head doesn't, hit anything inside the helmet that might snag your hair and cause you discomfort or something like that. It's just to make it comfortable. I'm surprised they just didn't shave the astronauts. <laughs> they probably wanted to, but then somebody says, you know, that's going to look kind of weird. And, you know, their hair is going to grow back on long missions. So that's going to be a problem. <laughs> I don't know if they were thinking about long missions back in those days, but uh, well, yeah, a I couple days, but yeah. 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 Well, you know, Von Braun wanted to go to Mars and Moon and all that kind of stuff, so that would have taken a while. Fair enough. We should have let him. We should have let him carry on with that program. I just Oh, yeah, a lot of people say that he should have. <laughs> oh, well, politics. There you go. Oh, and Which money. are yeah. in, in evidence here. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think it is kind of interesting that the Europeans are all like, we're on a budget. Yeah. Yeah, was that a, a big thing? You know, austerity, was that a big thing in the early 70s in the UK? Absolutely. Okay, yeah, I kind of figured it was. Ab- absolutely. A I mean, of, they uh, hadn't paid off their war debt yet. True. That. And I think rationing had only stopped, what, less than 10 years? You're in the 70s would be coal mining strikes. That's and, right, uh, yes. Coal, uh, coal strikes, uh, power outages. Uh, yeah, not a fun time. Yeah, but you know it, it's it's also kind of indicative of the sort of I I don't know there, there's an old joke, um, and I can't remember all of it. So this is going to be not the funniest joke ever told, uh, but I'm not telling it for the funny part. But it has to do with well, we'll laugh just like, to be nice. Yeah, it, it, it has to do with like if an American gets a flat tire, they get out of the car, they get the jack out, they you know they get the spare tire change it no wait mm-hmm. maybe it's the american takes just calls the service station and then some other nationality does the tire and the british yeah. guy gets out the patch kit right <laughs> removes the inner tube strengthens up the thing about so it it's and it, it's not about the budget it's about the mindset in yes. that respect and that's kind of you kind of get that in doctor who too from time to time when they're talking about the british space program right we're not we're not the best funded but you know we're we're the best. We're, we're very earnest. Yes, we are, we are going to do it, no matter what. Yes. So I <laughs> I have that like I said I have that suspicion that we're going to get that whole Americans flush with cash. <laughs> yeah. The Russians are probably also pump tons of stuff into their station because the Americans pump tons of stuff, and we'll right. probably get some of that commentary. In in the course of because you know even in the seventies we knew that's what the Russians were doing, yeah. Um, and then, but it'll be interesting to see how, like China and Brazil, are getting along. If we ever hear about those bases ever again, but it, it's you know there, there's there's just that whole sort of moon base on a 
shoestring kind of idea here. Well, you know, after eight years of existence, it could be that they really haven't gotten a lot of, uh, you know, bang for their buck, as it were. Um, You know, kind of the same thing happened with the Apollo program. You know, public opinion was a bit down at the time and, you know, nobody was watching the launches and, you know, there were other things to do with, with ratings weren't money. good. So they, they got canceled. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Sadly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, and, and I know that switching on to the, the Apollo program for the moment, I mean, one of the things that, that you always get out of it is all of the technology that we got that was developed for the Apollo program that got transferred back into our day-to-day lives. But that just doesn't really resonate with the average consumer because they don't, they don't see it. They don't understand it. They don't right. recognize the impact of it. They just see, well, you know, what is it? What was it for? And I would love to see in later episodes what they are doing on the moon. What, yeah, what, I hope what is Britain trying? What is sorry? It's not Britain. What is the European Commission trying to accomplish? We know they have a seismology station, so they're doing some right. seismology. But I'm going to guess they're also probably doing some research in the psychology of being on the moon. You know, whatever that yes, entail. Yes, uh, I think that'll be that'll be one. Um, that might play a lot of uh, or might appear in many of the episodes. I think that was kind of a big thing back then. But you know, you do have to kind of you do have to kind of put there is exploration for the sake of exploration and then mm-hmm. there is um colonization if you will for the sake of making money. Right, or you know, that's a great place to discover new widgets. Yeah. You know, yeah. is it, are we going to get rich from mining? Uh, I think there was something in this episode about. Yeah, yeah, we don't know what this is. Ore. It could be a brand new mineral. Yeah, exactly. When the new commissioner is walking around getting his. Getting a little brief. Yeah, yeah, stuff going on. So I guess there's that. But, you know, you do have to kind of just say we're going to we're going to throw money at this mm-hmm. and, and hope something sticks. And after eight years of that, Parliament was probably going, well, <laughs> what do you have to show for it? Yeah. I mean, we're thinking about getting out of this darn European, you know, wait, in 71, were they thinking of getting into it? I, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think they might've been part of the common market before. I don't, know, I don't remember. I, I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure someone that, will be that able would to. Be a, that would be a long jaunt to Wikipedia to discover that one, I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, you get down and you start typing. I got this really noisy keyboards. <laughs> I try not to do that in the middle of an episode. I type very softly when I'm on this keyboard. <laughs> I bought a, a fabulous keyboard with the, the, you know, the really good old style IBM clickety clackety oh, yeah. clickety. Oh yeah, gaming keyboard. It's it's beautiful, mm-hmm. but uh, it is not podcast friendly. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, a couple of other things I noticed uh, when they were programming the, uh, or attempting to program the shuttle. Uh, uh, they use the term, uh, use the uh, verb and noun. Oh, yeah. Which is exactly what they used in Apollo to program the guidance system on board the command module and the lunar excursion module. So that was nice. Okay, that's, yeah, and that was, that's probably Burke exactly. showing off. Cause he, yeah. 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 And okay. probably the, the day and night cycle, he might have mm-hmm. mentioned something about that. That was kind of nice. 
Did they do that in Apollo or? Mm, they had uh, rest periods, but it was all, I think it was all on uh, Houston time. They had no lights anyway. No, not really. <laughs> well, they had some lights, but you know, they, I don't know if they had like window shades. Because they mentioned this episode that the day-night cycle is Dr. Smith's idea. Right, right. And other stations are Which, using it. you know, if, if they were carrying it across from earlier programs, they might not have... I, I don't know why they would take credit for it, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Well, it, it also, uh, the whole thing had a, a very much the feeling of being on either an oil rig or an Arctic research station. And on an Arctic research station in the middle of summer, do they dim the lights for half the day? I, I don't think know. they would have to because the, you know, you kind of go nuts if you continue a sun. Well, I, I, I really don't know. I mean, if, if you were, if you had your own room and you went to bed and you went into your room and turned the lights off, I, would that be a problem? I don't know. I don't know what they should make the whole, you know, do we get up in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. and, and, all the lights are dimming throughout the house because just, I don't know. That's a good question. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I've known people that have lived in, you know, places like Alaska where, you know, you have very, very small amounts of, of nighttime, if any, during the summer. And yeah, they say that unless you grow up with it, it does mess you up after a while. You, you really have no idea when to go to sleep and apparently it can be quite distressing for some people. I, wonder so I don't if know they if they do that, do anything in hotels to accommodate that. Hmm. But anyways, um, let's see. Yeah, we, I, well, let's see. We had moon buggies, but I think there's nothing special there. Oh, um, uh, the, the, the suit that the director was wearing before he boarded the spacecraft, I'm pretty sure that was supposed to be a cooling garment to wear underneath a spacesuit. So that okay. was kind of cool. It wasn't, you know, recognized as such, but it was thin and flimsy and it kind of had that look of there might be little tubes of water in there or something. So that was kind of nice. It might have been another Burke thing. Yeah, I, 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 I really want to like this show and I didn't dislike the episode. <laughs> let me let me just say right off the bat, I, I found it interesting. I think you might argue that it was a little disjointed. Or or kind of lingering, because you you know you kind of have that whole here's the here's the space flight problem, here's the new director, here's his uh, extreme corporate bonding event. Yeah, uh, oh yeah, all oh, that. <laughs> yeah, that was like wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I want to talk is, about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, boy. The, I don't. Yeah, I kind of got the feeling that it, those little separate sub stories could have been meshed together a little bit better, or told over multiple episodes. Yeah. Or, or I, I mean, they, they needed, uh, they needed a reason for the uh, the new guy to show up, the new director to show up, and they, you know, had, had to have an accident. So I figured, they probably figured that having a pilot go crazy, would be the thing. I don't know. Well, if going crazy is a big thing in this episode. Oh, by a uh, nuclear submarine. Sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. It's very much like one of those two. Dude, Burke, that was his idea. He, 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 another one of the things he's quoted or 
misquoted I know was that his idea was his things are about 30 or 40 people and then it would mm-hmm. be a lot like being stationed on a nuclear submarine yeah a lot of other people have made that uh, that same uh, comparison for like uh, you know a trip to Mars it's gonna be so, six months inside of a little can how many people go nuts on nuclear submarines and would they ever tell <laughs> us well uh, I'm pretty sure that the navies of the of the world that have submarines, during their training process, they weed those folks out. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure their shipmates also hope that they weed them out. But it is hard on people. I do know that. I have known a couple of people who have been submariners, and they, uh, uh, yeah, it can be rough. <laughs> of course, it can be rough on a large ship like an aircraft carrier because. You know, a lot of times you're in a job where you may not go topside for days on end. You may not see the sun or anything because you're down inside the ship doing your job and that's it. Stoking (laughs) those boilers, shoveling the coal on the... Mopping the floor, washing the dishes, you know, that sort of stuff. Feeding the parrot. Working Um, at McDonald's. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep. What's your job? Hey, cook the fries at the McDonald's in the canteen. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Only McDonald's with atomic weapons. Yep. Now, are those employees? <laughs> I don't are they know how Navy they work that. Or are they contractors? I would say that they're probably contractors. The way that oh, okay. uh, things are going, and that's kind of scary. No, I have no idea. No clue. Never well, I hope there's a McDonald's. I hope there's a McDonald's. I have on heard the that there. Oh, I'm sure there is on the the American one. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully. And hopefully we get to see it. What would it be on the British one? Or the sorry, I keep calling it British. That's that is okay. wrong. It's <laughs> it's European, right? It's, maybe it's maybe they have a Tesco's. Yeah, probably a Tesco's or a uh, Carrefour. The French got Carrefour, that. Commission. There you go, Carrefour. Yeah, that would work. Yeah. yeah. Aldi. Yeah. Didn't it didn't exist place. back then. I don't think back then. No, probably not. That's just Walmart, I think. Uh, discount. It's like a dollar store, I think. No, I think it was bought by Walmart. Oh, was it? I think. Well, that, that would explain why I've seen a couple in the U.S. Hmm. Yeah. Anyways. So oh, what and what's, the, what's with the 30-minute transit air supply for the people in the shuttle? I, I was wondering about that. <laughs> I like, mean, obviously, we need a plot device to make stress. I've got it. They're going to suffocate. Perfect. We'll do it. Does that make it all, uh, under any circumstances, would that make any kind of sense? Because they don't need it in the shuttle because it's pressurized so they needed it to walk out to the shuttle because they don't have a dome like the americans exactly uh, and exactly. i guess they might need it well i hopefully they don't need it transiting well i guess it depends on whether they go to a space station or straight <laughs> yeah, down maybe to they Earth. have to do a spacewalk to go from the the shuttle to the space station <laughs> But it seems like 30 minutes is a little... I mean, maybe that's, that's just short. a budget thing. Yeah, we can't really afford to put more than 30 minutes in there. Jeez, I would hope it'd be longer. Budget cuts. Budget cuts, yeah. Oxygen cylinders aren't that big. Now, now one of the things that struck me on this show was... Um, first off, there was a couple of wickedly mean lines. Like when they said about the outgoing director. He'll be late to his own funeral. Oh, yeah. Hmm, foreshadowing? Hmm, I don't oh, know. <laughs> and, then, and then later on, when the pilot dies, 
and the director is there on the thing and, and he's trying to fly the thing right and the flight controller says don't worry it's dead simple oh, i didn't catch that turn it on to control to our control and we'll bring you back in right it's like yeah really flight controller <laughs> a guy's panicking do not use the phrase it's yes. dead simple phrasing people phrasing <laughs> yes <laughs> did you say dead what <laughs> There's also um oh and the uh, the well-timed solar flare causing the communications breakdown which okay that actually would happen does happen and you probably wouldn't actually want to be out uh in a spacecraft during that because solar flares are they can tend to be rather well deadly energetic yes <laughs> yes so uh, uh, if it's a but small budget one. hearings won't wait for solar no, they won't. flares no no, no. no. absolutely not so <laughs> when they say get down here and ask for money exactly don't worry about it so would there be some other phenomena that would be less deadly that could have uh knocked out satellite communicate i mean obviously blackout oh, or something like that but random you, equipment failure on board the ship i guess you wouldn't have a blackout uh between moon and the earth no not unless uh uh, not unless the spacecraft went past the horizon and you didn't have a communication satellite relaying the messages. Mm. So a number of technical issues, you could you could have a problem with communications. Ships and, in 2003 are built with much better shielding. Apparently, yes. It's got uh, pure unobtainium wrapped in the entire <laughs> ship. And, and I'm not quite sure how five people can cram into that shuttle. When you see people walking by it, it's like, well, it's about four people tall wow they must really be good friends <laughs> they had some very nice seats yes the seats actually uh that was i made a note about that they are very reminiscent of the uh the seats in the russian soyuz spacecraft where uh you for those you actually are uh, measured and they make a custom seat for you and it's got a very large uh space at the top for your head in your your uh, helmet. Helmet. So it's kind of like, kind of uh, neat there. No, oh, I thought those were IKEA chairs. Well, they well, they, they are now. Okay. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We are introduced at the early part of the episode to Michel Lebrun, who is mm -hmm. a bit of a stick in the mud kind of stickler French guy. Yes. Um, Very by the book. Helen Smith, the female doctor, which I gotta say. The casual 1973 sexism <laughs> running through this episode. Oh, yeah. The, the, the junior flight controller or whatever he was that was going on about how he wants to take her and grab her and yes, kiss her. I, I and have an irresistible like, feeling that I need to grab you or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. that was... Oh, dear. <laughs> cringing. Oh. It's like, well, not so good. And then there's the bit where LeBron says... Um, uh, exact words about the day we start running this base based on the vagaries of a woman. Uh, oh, yeah. Yes. When we run this base on the vagaries of a woman's fancy. Yeah. Ouch. I guess that degree she's got to get 
doctor doesn't count for much because she's still a woman and you know how they are all kind of touchy-feely and right the the bureaucrat is uh is uh possibly threatened by the the doctor who's a woman oh dear jeez i mean (laughs) she's pretty so obviously you put all those guys on a moon base and you put an attractive woman in there of course they're going to be totally and utterly incapable of behaving like decent human beings Uh, apparently in 2003 oh dear seems like there was another crack that they made about her too that Uh, was entirely possible that was just really over the line but i didn't i didn't get it written down i think i probably passed out at that point from from a non-PC shot to the head. Oh, I, I did notice that uh, Tom, the flight ops guy. Flight ops, yeah. Yeah, he, uh, he, he seemed to call the, uh, the women's staff love a lot. <laughs> I don't know yeah. if that is uh, quite PC. Uh, yeah, Britain. Yeah, In Britain, is sure. that common? Love. Yeah, love. Yeah. Uh, okay, I, I guess think, so. I think all women are called that, I believe, even <laughs> to this day. Uh, they, they, Theresa May, they, they called her that in Parliament all the time. <laughs> Go on, love. Answer some questions. I, I remember I remember that speaker guy uh, doing that. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, oh, oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping that's not going to be too prevalent throughout the series, but I don't... I, my guess is, is that they're going to play that up. Probably, and there's probably an episode that, you know, each of the main characters gets to be the center of it, and I'm sure that when her turn is comes around, uh, oh, yeah, there'll be plenty of it. Okay, so let me ask this question. Mm-hmm. And I know you've seen some of the episodes, so try to try to take this in in the light of just having seen this one episode. Do you think that all the sexism that's heaped upon her is going to turn out to be unjustified or do you think she is going to behave in a fashion consistent with a male writer who has those attitudes how a woman would indeed behave badly you know what i you know what i'm getting you know i'm getting at it's like she is going to be a little bit um (laughs) like they're kind Uh, of making fun of like they're they're you know, like playing well, it up she, a bit. Yeah. yeah. It's entirely possible. Yeah. Or is she just going to be a no nonsense? I get the job done. I'm a competent professional. And the fact that I'm a woman doesn't make any difference to it. But I, I have a bad feeling. I like Terrence Dix and Barry Letts, but I'm not sure I have any faith in them for not <laughs> actually making her be the stereotype that they're talking about. Yeah. There. Um, so let's let's um take a look at a couple of the the plot events we we talked about mm-hmm. the the pilot and it's really kind of incidental there's a there's a pilot he he's got a psychological problem mm-hmm. the doctor identifies that she thinks he has a psychological problem right she's his doctor she does the yep. evaluation she says i, I got a gut feeling the side about reports. this i got the guts for feeling but all the tests say he's fine right now what is the right answer there should she ground him for real i mean i know that's kind of what the show says in the end but 
do you go with subjective or do you go with objective? Well, um, that's a that's a tricky one. That's that's something that could uh, make or break somebody's uh, uh, you know, prof- professional career. Absolutely. It. I don't know. It. I mean, obviously, if uh, if she would have grounded him, uh, the original director would have taken another shuttle, and he'd still be with them today or a couple years ago, whatever. But uh, you know, had she been wrong, then you know she might have been on the next shuttle craft out. So it's it's a that's a tricky one. I, I, I you know. know I don't know I don't know whether they even do that. I mean, does a flight surgeon because that's kind of what she's being mm-hmm. here. Does a flight surgeon have discretion? You know, well everything checks out, but I just don't feel right about this. I'm not going to let you fly today. I think they do, but I think they also have to tell the commanding officer their reasoning why. And he has to make his case to him or her that, you know, the pilot is unfit for duty. And uh, and here she goes to the second in command and says, eh. <laughs> you know, I feel like it, but I'm not going to put it in the report because. Uh. Exactly. And he's right. ju- he's just as bad. Oh right? yeah, oh he geez. kicks yeah, that no football kidding. down to the boss and said, "Well, he did at least tell him." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but is it is that the failure? Because if the doctor had gone directly to the commander, the commander could have asked her questions. Yes, and sure, she could still just say, "It's just a feeling. It's just uh, <clears throat> something." But she would not have been derelict in her duty it would have been the the director or the the assistant directors uh it would have been on him to either take her advice or not so but by going through the assistant director you get a kind of almost like a game of chinese whispers the commander can't ask questions he does ask questions and lebron says things like well she just has this gut feeling i mean like he, he can't go into depth about it because he doesn't know right and in fact, later on, there's a scene when they're up, uh, not when they're up there, but when they're kind of not yet up there, she says something to the effect of, for the sake of the audience, really, you know, he's such a perfectionist that he runs the risk of not taking help because he can't appear not to be the best. And then, of right. course, a few moments later, that's exactly what happens. Now, if that's the case, yes. if she had said that to the commander, you know, as part of, okay, that's my gut feeling, but obviously that's that's not just a gut feeling. That's a that's a thing. Right. She, that she, is, she's actually got an actual sort of right. concern. Right. And that would be a diagnosis at that point, I think. So, uh, And also, what well, was it? Uh, Harry was talking to uh, LeBron and uh, saying that uh, he had spoken to, not Harry, uh, Tom. There Tom. we go. Harry was spoke, the pilot, right? Exactly. Right. Okay. He said that Harry had a, had, uh, he had a little, uh, little fit um, before, for some reason, that he, you know, would do. Uh, apparently, it, it sounds like he had had those before when somebody had, had questioned his, uh, his mm. competency in something. Or when they were late. It sounds yes, like yeah, he's just irascible. Yeah. Right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. So when does when does a, a a quaint British personality trait become a danger to Exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. 
to and who knows you know maybe uh uh you know if if he had been grounded it he wouldn't have had any uh i'm not sure where i'm going with this but maybe it wouldn't have any effect at all and he would have been found fit for duty the next day i don't know yeah it's like he's overdue for of course he'd have to go down to the planet earth for his rest and relaxation and then he'd want to fly it and i right right it, it 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 all it's all a very taxing question and right and then we and have the sequel oh, go ahead i was to say and you know at the very end calder who says that it's it was harry's fault no one else's and that might exactly have been it you know that that, that yes there was a breakdown in communication and uh and in people's jobs but in the end uh you know it was it was a a, a horrible accident and uh Harry really? didn't follow procedure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was it, Harry's he was, fault. He passed all the side tests, and he did not do what he was supposed to do on his job. That is human error. Um, it happens a lot. Yeah. <laughs> Loads. <laughs> and, and, you know, Tom also made some comment about uh, how Harry was overdue for vacation mm-hmm. or, or leave, and yep. he's always a bit irascible. But he says, well, he was a little bit more irascible than usual. Well, yes. you know that happens all the time. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've, you know, everybody's got their own level of kind of how much patience that they have, and mm-hmm. you, you get you work with them all the time. You get used to it, and you know what's normal. But nobody's perfectly on kilter every day so some days they come in and they're a little bit grumpier and you think well you know they had a flat tire this morning or they had something it's it's not that they're breaking down yeah they're not breaking down it's just that they've they've started early on their irascible or their (laughs) right it's just a little bit off and that's one of those things that you can look at afterwards and go oh I, you know, I noticed that he was a little more upset than usual, but I yeah. didn't think he was going to bring an AK-47 in. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really hard to second guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you can, you can, with hindsight, you can look at that and go, yeah. Oh, the signs were there. Oh, yeah. The really signs were there. They? Yeah. But, but if you can't read the signs, then they're not signs really there. Right. Right. So. But admittedly, there was a definite breakdown and with something as as dangerous as space flight, you want to err on the side of, of being too cautious uh, in most cases. And I think that this would have been one. Yeah. That, yeah, he should have been grounded for observation. The director can take another flight. Yes, he's going to be a little bit late. Oh, no. You know, mm-hmm. and I think everybody who deals with something like that would understand that, well, you know, better being better that he's a little bit late as opposed to being Dead. late. And yeah, turns out <laughs> exactly. Turn turns out he is. So now they bring up this. They bring the new guy. Uh, yeah. As far as I can tell, he has no experience with space. I mean, they kind of. Tom says that at one point. He's got no experience right. in astronautics, right. physics, or nothing like he's, that. He's, I don't know, a professor of English or something. Uh, and 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 yet he's like on a first name basis with the American space commander and his family. Right, exactly. He's very well connected, apparently. Uh, he worked for Oxford, I think. Yes. And uh, I don't know what he lectured in, but he was there. And I guess the, what they had some student problems, and he uh, fixed the whole thing. 
he sorted that out. He's yes. uh, uh, what was it like a blatant liberal that here? hugs to the middle a of the road. Militant liberal, passionately committed to the middle of the road. That is an interesting combination. I, I'd love to see a militant liberal who is middle of the road. Maybe they existed back then. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, that's unelectable now. So yeah, middle no of the kidding. road. Yeah, it'd be nice if we had some of those people in, in the government. Oh, well. Now, the next yeah. the next phase of this story is we get the guy who comes up. He's very personable. He's he's interested. He's a, oh, 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 and, uh, yeah, it's quite fascinating what you're doing. Uh, I love it. This is plastics great, and rocks. Yes. Um, and then he gets to. And so, you know, we're going to be doing an inquiry. Obviously, we're going to be doing an inquiry and mm-hmm. uh, we're going to do it tomorrow. And uh, I'm going to interview the, all the staff. Uh, schedule me. Uh, Schedule me 10 minutes each with them, or was it 15 minutes each with them? And, um, and for the four command staff, give me, uh, give me 15 or 20 minutes or whatever it is. So right, a bit this. longer than that, just yeah, a bit longer. 10 minutes. So we get in and, and get that taken care of. And, and Tom points out this is totally against protocol. Uh, doing it internally seems totally against protocol. Right. He did mention something, uh, Calder mentioned something at the very beginning, something about uh, uh, doing it all uh amongst ourselves no outsiders that's it no outsiders it's like very interesting i didn't catch that in the first viewing of the episode but the second one was like oh okay that makes a bit more sense now that's a that's a very interesting thing for a new boss to come in where right, you've got some going that should sound very reassuring shouldn't it Yes. That sounds like uh, we're sweeping this under the rug, so don't worry exactly, about it. Exactly. Exactly. Things are going to work out well for everyone. Don't worry. I'm yeah. taking care of this. We're going to get it done tomorrow. Right. And, uh, well, it could be that he you know, did what he did to kind of get a measure of the people he's working with. And also to you know, drive home the point that you, everyone up there lives in one of the most hostile environments you could possibly imagine and that you you have to realign everybody uh or you're going to die. Yeah. So yeah. he um he goes through it and and he does, you know, he clearly has written uh written read the report. Yes. And he talks with the people and he's he's very direct about getting them to talk to him and they, you know, well in hindsight I noticed this and uh, and and mm-hmm. the the doctor Another one of those lines when I mentioned is she said, having feelings about people is what I'm paid for. And I thought that was an interesting line because isn't the whole point of the failure here that she had a feeling about somebody and she didn't do anything substantive about it. So I guess she didn't earn her pay that day. (laughs) She was having an off day as well. She was having feelings. She wasn't doing anything about that. So she was... was, (laughs) She was on strike. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Budget yes. cuts that day. Yeah. Uh, they're not paying for my feelings, so I'm not going to write them down. <laughs> um, and then he comes up with this, we now know, BS report that says you're all at fault. And mm-hmm. one hour from now, be ready. We're on the shuttle. Oh, We're heading yeah. back. Oh, yeah. You also notice that they brought in his own pilot. Wait, was it his own pilot or yes. just one that he knew? It was his well. They called it his own pilot. His own pilot. Okay. Yeah. When so when he's the guy who brought him down there. When he arrived from Earth, Hill was saying, "Oh, and we've got he's got his own pilot." 
uh, we've got great. We got another director that's got his own pilot or something like that. Hmm. And okay. which was, I thought, a throwaway line early in the game. But when you watch it the second time, or if you remember that, it's like, oh, pilot's part of the conspiracy. Yeah. So is the American base commander. They're all, they're all, they're all, this was already before they even got there. Yeah. Or it, uh, it, it solidified as he took the call from the uh, uh, the other base commander. Mm-hmm. Is it uh, Commander Johnson or Smith or something like that? I forget. It was a very it's generic Smith. name. It's, yeah, it's probably Johnson. I, I don't. I don't know. Mister American. Jackson. Could be Jackson. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's something. It's the yeah. American base commander. He seems like a nice guy. I, exactly. So. Uh, so I think we can trust the Americans. I think Bill Jackson. Definitely. There it is. Bill Jackson. That's his name. That is. Wow. These are Helen Smith, Tom Hill. Uh, I don't know what Calder's first name is. That's a kind of an unusual name. Wikipedia says David. David. Okay. That's pretty dull. And uh, Michel Lebrun, which right. I don't know if that's a common French name or not. Could be. All right. So the, yeah. the final act is a fake emergency landing your team building exercise team building yes. exercise that's, that's a lovely one there <laughs> i <laughs> you know they're not doing anything that anything that isn't as he says what they're supposed to do in emergency procedures right but I don't know if your emergency procedure is to get out of the spaceship and walk with a 30 minute air supply towards a point that you don't know the distance of, I would revise those somehow because that doesn't seem like it'd be very safe. <laughs> I mean, I, I know for a fact that you have worked in buildings that have fire drills and all yes. schools have fire drills. Mm -hmm. Is Would it be appropriate to... I don't know, set off a smoke grenade <laughs> and pull, you know, a perfectly safe smoke, you know, a smoke machine like you get from yes, the Halloween yes. store. Put that yes. in the stairwell, turn it on, pumping out smoke, and then actually pull the fire alarm. It's, well, I, I mean, I, I no harm, that, uh, right? I believe that you can attest to me actually jokingly suggesting that a number of times during fire drills. Uh, in fact, well, we had one at work today. <laughs> and the exact same conversation came up with a coworker. Is it? Is it? Would no, that be, you don't do that. You don't do that, right? I mean, I think no. you could probably get in serious trouble. Right. Exactly. Doing that. Yeah, there could be repercussions. You are supposed to. I mean, I know you're not. You know, you're not supposed to know that a fire drill is coming, but at the same time. Um, because, you know, part of it is you hear the bell and you're supposed to behave in a calm and rational fashion. And you right, exactly. It. But when there's flames licking at the building or smoke going out, you know the people aren't going to behave well, as well as they should. There's also the school of thought saying that you're in a very uh, hostile environment and your life depends on knowing these, these drills. So, you know, having akin to a live fire practice during your drill is, you know, a completely valid, uh, you know, I believe in some military situations, uh, they do have live fire drills where there are real bullets flying over the troops heads as they are, you know, crawling underneath wire and whatnot, uh, to a target. And if you stand up, you're going to get shot. 
I wonder how many you know, people actually die from that kind of thing. I don't know any stats, but I'm going to guess that there's been more than one. Oh, I'd hate to have to write that letter from the base commander. <laughs> Didn't even make it to the battlefield. Training yeah, accident. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. Maybe, you know, that type of extreme test would be par for the course. You know, say if you're flying an airplane, you're learning your... Uh, you know, some situations, say you have to learn how to recover from a stall, the, the, uh, the flight trainer, instructor. Yeah. the flight instructor, thank you, he'll put the airplane into a stall and make you get out of it. Granted, he's there with his hands on, you know, on his lap, ready to grab the stick in case you screw up. But, yeah, you are practicing essentially what could kill you in a situation that can kill you. And it's the best way to learn. Yeah, well, what yeah. do we what do we learn about <laughs> Calder's personality here? Is this is this the kind of commander he's gonna be? Uh, you know, is is this supposed to give us a hint of how he solved the problems at Oxford? Not saying he had a fire drill at Oxford, but they you know that have. that he is an unconventional. I think he uh, expects the best out of his people, and he wants to make sure that they know that that's what 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 he wants. Hmm. I mean, that's well, my feeling anyways. I don't know. I'll be completely I'll, wrong. I'll be interested to see whether there are repercussions from this, because I think that if I, if my boss, again, using the fire drill analogy, if he'd actually put smoke bombs out and, and then pulled the fire drill, I, I would probably hold that against him for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that would be brought up occasionally, I'm sure. That, that would be one of those things like I don't know if i can trust you not to do something dangerously really stupid yeah, yeah exactly and in, a, in and in an environment where uh as he put it we must love one another or die yeah exactly that's not exactly the way to inspire i love you man i trust you yeah i don't know I've never worked in a, a situation where it's been quite like that. So, <laughs> you know, maybe, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe that's exactly what you need in a situation like that. You need, you know, unconditional uh, reliance upon your, your fellow employee, you know, because if you don't have that, then, you know, everyone's lives are at jeopardy. <laughs> Not only are lives at jeopardy, but those are the kind of people who are going to steal your food from the refrigerator in the canteen, too. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Gonna People. steal your stapler too. Oh, my red stapler. <laughs> yep, it's my stapler. Um, I don't know that I have anything else on this particular episode of the show. Oh, let me look at my notes real quick. They could have spent a little bit more money reinforcing some of the sets. When you oh, saw you them they were tromping, we saw them tromping around on the the lunar surface. And they plant their foot on the little uh, berm, and it flexes. Oh, I saw uh, that. <laughs> it yeah, like it was foam underneath times. it. Yes. Okay. It's like, well, that really is just, uh, you know, sheets of muslin that have been stiffened with plaster and then painted with rocks thrown on top of it over a thin oh, wooden think, scaffolding. Yeah. yeah. Chicken wire. Yeah. <laughs> well, I did have a note oh, well. here that the... Uh, uh, that the doors must be incredibly thin on that moon base too, because uh, you could just stand outside the commander's office and hear every word spoken inside his oh, room. Oh yeah, I mean it's obviously that uh, the rooms inside the station are not 
you know, pressure safe. If there's a, a crack in the window, then uh, closing the door really isn't going to help very much. It did, did kind of seem like that, yeah. Yeah. It did kind of seem like that. But uh, but overall, I mean, I give it a thumbs up. I definitely, if I watched the first episode, you know, just on my on my own, just came across it, I go, oh, I will watch this show. I would mm-hmm. definitely go, I'm going to be back for episode two. And, and I'm pretty sure I can commit to six episodes. Obviously... Obviously, we already know that you only made it through four, so that that's maybe well, not be a bad sign. <laughs> I didn't know where I could get the other ones, so yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. And and incidentally, listeners, if you want to watch Moonbase three, uh, in the show notes, I will put a link to, uh, as of record date, a YouTube playlist that has all these episodes. Because as far as I know, it's not available. Uh, and streaming or DVD or anything oh. like that. So, uh, but of course that pity. playlist, you know, is some private person put this playlist up and it's just a question of time before uh, YouTube uh, might find it and go, ah, no, I don't think so. <clears throat> but we'll put it out there and you can watch these episodes oh. uh, if you get a chance. And we'll... Um, well, if you go on Amazon, you can find Moonbase 3, the complete series, but the price is insane. Oh, astronomical. Yes. Wow. I did. It's used. It's it has be been out joke. on print. And I believe that's a UK version of that. Oh, 40 pounds you can buy one. Yeah. Oh, my. So, so they exist in the UK. They do. They do exist, <laughs> but not, not uh, in a reasonable fashion. Yeah. Well, uh, John, thank mm-hmm. you for joining me. You're very welcome. This is fun. Uh, and next time, it's the episode Behemoth. Ooh, I wonder what that gonna, could be it's about. A big space whale. Cause, oh, I hope so. <laughs> like space whales on the moon. Space whale. <laughs> and listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a Doctor Who episode, wasn't it? It was. More than one, actually. I think it's also an audio Doctor Who as, as, as well. <laughs> mm, it's also a Simpsons reference there about whalers on the moon. But... Uh, <laughs> No, I'm sorry, not Simpsons, Futurama, my bad. That makes more sense. Yeah. Simpsons, yeah, they don't go in space very often. Nope, except once. Listeners, I do hope you will join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at patreon.com slash fusion patrol come join the conversation on facebook or twitter all episodes are available at fusionpatrol.com our music is fight the future by amber wolf this has been a lone locust production